the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Sarah. you pray with me once more as we come to God's Word? Let's pray together. Father, we pause now before you as we come to your Word. Lord, just a few chapters ahead in this very book, you say that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And it pierces all the way down to the very core of our being, the very depths of our heart. It is your scalpel, we might say, for the heart surgery that we need to be done continually by you. It is the instrument that you use to transform us. Lord, we would ask that you would come and use your word and have your way with us this morning. Is Lord, we need to be changed. We need to see you. We need to see the wonder, the glory of Jesus, that we would be changed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this morning we're going to start a new series in the book of Hebrews. Uh, I've actually never preached through the book of Hebrews, so I'm, I'm kind of excited to walk through this study uh, together. And my summary, if you saw this in the email... My, my summary of the book of Hebrews is that the author of the book of Hebrews is essentially saying Jesus is better. He's writing to an early Christian community that is experiencing a lot of persecution. They had come to Jesus. Many of them were Jews before that, living outside of Jerusalem. They're probably outside of Rome in some area like that. And uh, they had come to Jesus, and in doing so, they left their, their culture, they left their community, they left comfort, they left so much to follow Jesus, and now they're experiencing pressure, they're experiencing a culture that is against them, and they're beginning to drift, they're beginning to say, ah, is it really that critical to put all of our hopes in Jesus and be centered upon Him? And so the writer of Hebrews is walking through the whole book and saying, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And I think it's a critical message for us. Let me start off with a little question for our young people here. Do you ever like really long for something and, and get excited about something? You know, kind of lock in on a particular uh, gift or experience you're going to get to have. You know, we just had Christmas not too long ago. You ever just get so excited about getting something 
And then once you get it, that excitement and that luster begins to fade. Have you ever had that experience? Yeah, I wonder if even maybe something you got for Christmas, maybe something you were longing for and dying for and you thought, man, if I get this, my life's going to change. I wonder if you even still play with that thing anymore. There, there's some stuff in our house that generated tremendous excitement and joy and wonder. And it's just unused and untouched. Here we are just a month away. There's something kind of natural in us. And by the way, kids, I'm not just beating up on you. Us adults, we're the same way. We might even be worse. Because we know how to hide it, right? And we have the ability to chase after more and more things, oftentimes. There's something that's just natural to our nature where we're always doing that. We're always just getting excited about something and locking onto something. And we just build it up and it's wonderful and we got to have it. But then once we got it, it just fades. It loses its luster. We're fickle. You know, we, we move on to other things. We get lured away and attracted to other things. And it seems like we're just in a constant cycle like that. I know my heart is. I mean, sometimes it's a, a, a particular thing, but sometimes it's an experience. That's kind of the big thing in our culture right now is just having all these experiences. Which are not bad, but I want us to see we, get, we put all of our hopes in it and then it fades in our heart. Now, the same thing happens so easily in the Christian life. That many times whenever someone first comes to Jesus, first becomes a Christian, there's incredible passion and joy and excitement, purpose in their life related to their faith. But how easily does that fade? How easily does Jesus seem to lose His luster in our hearts and in our lives? You know, one of the things about the Bible Belt culture, and I talk about that a lot because that's where we are. That's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves in the Bible Belt. And there's particular characteristics to living in a place like this. I oftentimes find people who describe themselves as Christian. In fact, I meet very few people, I talk to very few people in this community that tell me straight up, yeah, I'm not really a Christian. But let me tell you, I find many people, tons of people, droves of people that are like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I, I, I'm, my faith is important to me. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a values voter, right? I'm a passionate values voter. I believe prayer ought to be in schools. I believe we ought to go back to that. I own a Bible. I, I go to church. You know, I'm, I'm a good person. Morality is important to me. I find so many people that would describe themselves in that way and they know about Jesus and they admire Jesus, but they don't worship Jesus. Jesus might be really, you know, something they fully understand, but He doesn't command the affections of their heart. They don't obey Him. He's not their Lord. Now sometimes the folks I'm describing, and really probably describing many of us today, I'm describing certainly the tendency of my heart. You know, so many people start with a passion for Jesus, and yet it just fades over time. And I wonder if maybe that's true for some of us. Now, the nature of our heart is to always be looking for greener pastures, 
Always be looking for that next opportunity, that next excitement around the corner. But here's what we're going to see as we walk through the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything in our lives. Jesus is better than anything we're tempted to run after and have and live our lives for. He's better than marriage. He's better than children. He's better than a great career. He is better than an awesome house. He, he is better than, than reputation. He's better than an unbelievable huge diesel truck, which is part of what I often want. A preacher needs a diesel, right? Pulls a lot of stuff. Right? Jesus is better. And the writer of Hebrews is going to invite us to just behold His glory and just say, worship Him. Worship Him. There's nothing better. And that's what we'll see in our passage today. So here, we're starting off the book here. And it's really helpful to understand uh, a little bit more about what's happening with the original audience, with the people that this book is being written to, because it helps us to understand a lot about what we read in the book. Now, I mentioned a little bit just at the beginning, just a few minutes ago. But the reality was is that, that this original audience, they were uh, Jewish Christians. And they were in a Jewish community. And so, to follow Jesus, they had to leave that. They, they, they had to walk away from family. They were being persecuted. We learned throughout the book that they were being put in prison. They were having their stuff taken from them. Like they were having their property damaged. I mean, what would it be like for you if in this community that you live, in your neighborhood, to follow Jesus meant people were going to throw rocks through your window? That you were probably going to lose your job? That you were going to be hated throughout the community? That would be hard, right? And a, an incredible temptation for them was, was to go back just to Judaism. Because, you know, they were like, hey, you know... Is it really that important to really be centered on Jesus? I mean, if we go back to this, we're, we're spiritual people. You know, our faith can still be important to us. We know the law. We can live moral lives. And we'll be accepted in the synagogue. And we'll be accepted by our families. We don't have to leave all of that. Is it really that critical to center all of our lives on Jesus? Because doing this, we can still be spiritual. We can still know God, we think. That's what they were wrestling with. And isn't that a temptation in our culture? Our culture is perfectly fine for you to be a values voter and to describe yourself as a Christian. In fact, there's advantage to it. Our culture is great with you being, you know, going to church and, and being a good moral person and, and, and standing for Christian values. The culture's great with that. In fact, you get kudos. But to center your life on Jesus, to follow Him as your Lord, well, that's costly. And it might just cost you some things. And for them, it was costing them a great deal. And so their struggle is they were considering, should we just go back to what we had? Should we just go back to that form of that, that, that very familiar spirituality that we have known? And the writer of Hebrews is saying, no. There's nothing there. Jesus is better than all of that. And that's what we learned. So as we come to our passage here, right off the bat, 
the author is going to begin to just showing us the superiority of Jesus. Now look, the first thing that he's going to show us here is how Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. Look at what he says in verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And so he's reminding them of God's revelation and his word throughout human history. God has been revealing himself. That's, in fact, that's the very nature of what God is like. He is a God who wants to be known. God wants to be known. He wants to reveal, and apart from him revealing himself, apart from him saying, here's who I am, and this is what I'm like, we could never know him. Creatures could never know the creator because he's so far above us. But you see, the very nature of God is that He wants to reveal Himself. He wants to be known. And throughout history, God has been doing that very thing. God has been revealing Himself through His presence, through the prophets, through to Moses and, and to Abraham, and through all of these different means. God has been revealing who He is and giving us a picture of what He's like. Through the law, we begin to see His holiness and, and who He is. God has revealed Himself throughout history. But here's the point of the writer of Hebrews. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. You see what He's saying there? He's contrasting all the ways that God has revealed Himself to the ultimate revelation of who He is in the person of Jesus. So He's saying God has revealed Himself, but... But it's only a faint picture. It's only like a dim mirror. You only see pieces and parts of who God is. But in the person of His Son, we see the perfect revelation of God. The final revelation. Jesus is God's Word in the flesh. So in the person of Jesus, we see who God is like never before. It is the perfect and final and ultimate revelation of who God is. And in fact, the only way to completely understand Scripture is to understand it in light of Jesus. To understand that every single verse, chapter, book of the Bible is about Jesus. And it finds its fulfillment in Him. And we only fully understand it in light of Him through looking through the lens of Christ. And that's what He's saying here. But then... He begins at this point, and throughout the passage, the part that we're looking at, he begins to sketch this portrait of Jesus that is just stunning. Now, I'm going to run through it here, and kind of, there's so many facets and, and angles that he is going to show us the glory of who Jesus is, just in the passage that we're looking at. But I want to encourage you. This week, in quiet time alone with the Lord, I want to encourage you to take this passage and just slow way down and take each of these little features and characteristics and ways of describing Jesus. Just take, maybe you want to take one of those each day, maybe you want to take the whole passage and read it each day, but use this passage this week to just meditate on the glory and the beauty of Jesus. It is stunning the ways that he describes Jesus. And I wonder if this is how you see Jesus, how you understand him. I wonder if your view and understanding of Jesus is this big and vast and beautiful. So I want to encourage you as I walk through this, 
Allow your heart to just bask in the beauty of Jesus. Now let's look at what he says here. The first thing that he shows us is that Jesus is the heir of all things. In these last days he has spoken to us by his son, by his son whom he appointed heir of all things. Jesus is going to inherit everything. The whole world belongs to him. All, all the cultures of the world, all nations of the world, all peoples of the world, everything in the world, everything in the universe, all of it one day will be given to Jesus. He will take possession of it. It will belong to Him. Everything. It's all His. All the riches of the world and the universe belong to Jesus. Next He shows us that through whom He made the universe. Now this is just, this is amazing to think about. Jesus was the creator of the universe. Everything that has been made, everything in all of creation, whether it's stars or galaxies or mountains or rivers or you, all of it has been created through Jesus. Now John tells us in, uh, in his book, in the very first chapter, that everything was made through Him. Same thing that, he, that the writer of Hebrews is saying here. And nothing was made that was made not through Him. Everything was made through Jesus. He is the maker and creator of all things. The Father created through the Son. He didn't create anything apart from the power and active Word of God, which is Jesus, the eternal Word of God. Jesus has made everything and it belongs to him verse 3 the sun is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his glory now there's so much here whenever we think of radiance we might think of the sun you know if you've ever tried to look at the sun you know we see the sun because of its rays and the rays of the sun or kind of the essence of the sun radiating out from it. We feel its heat. We see its light. And all of that is flowing from the essence of what the sun is. The beams of light are radiating out from it. That's kind of the image that he's using here. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Now the Bible talks a lot about God's glory. God's glory is His character. It's His worth. It's literally His weight. You know, oftentimes in life, we determine the worth of something by its weight. You know, how do you want to, you know, if somebody's, uh, if you've ever been like in a, a flea market or something, you see a piece of gold there, and they're like, 24 karat gold, get you one right here. Well, how do you know if that's fake? It's probably fake. But one way to tell if gold is real is to weigh it. Because there's a density, there's a worth to it. That's a part of the aspect of God's glory. It's His worth, His character, His value, His significance that supersedes every other glory in the entire universe. In fact, all other glory, all other significance is only a reflection of His. We're told in Isaiah 6 as we're brought in a vision into the heavenly throne room that literally the entire temple is shaking. Why is it shaking? 
It's shaking under the sheer weight of God's glory. But here's what Hebrews is telling us here. Jesus is the full radiance of that, of that glory. We behold the fullness of God's glory in the person of Jesus. The fullness of who God is and His beauty and His weight. We behold in its fullness in the person of Jesus. When we behold Him, we're seeing the fullness of God's glory. We're also told He's the exact representation of His being. He is the perfect copy. He, he is the, the, the perfect image of God. When we see Jesus, we are seeing God. He is God. He, he is the, the fullest picture of what God is like and who He is and what His heart is like. When we see Jesus, we are seeing the fullest, most perfect picture of who God is. So not only that, we see next that He is the sustainer of all things. Very next uh, part of the sentence, He says, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. Jesus is sustaining and governing and upholding everything. This is just, this is mind-boggling to think about, okay? We tend to think that the world kind of just operates on its own, right? That, that kind of view is, is called deism. It's kind of the idea that God created everything and He kind of set the laws in motion and he, he got everything set up and He wound it up and then He stepped back and it's just kind of running on its own. That's actually not true at all. Astoundingly untrue. Scripture actually tells us that everything is being actively sustained by the Word and presence of God. And what we're told here is that it's sustained by Jesus. The word of His power. That means that, that our, our, our planet is at the perfect tilt that it's at because of the sustaining power of Jesus. The rotation around the sun is exactly how it is. And you know, if you know anything about science, if it were off just a tiny little bit, literally life would cease to exist on earth. It's kind of terrifying to think about that, right? If you were to think about the atoms that are in our body and in everything around us, like the, this perfect order... I mean, all we see is like everything, you know, I step on the ground and it, it holds up. I see it in the pew. It works, right? The laws of gravity, all we know is like it keeps me from floating up in the air, crushing down into the floor. You see, what he's telling us is that Jesus is actively sustaining every element of creation. It's amazing. Your heart is beating in your chest right now because of the active, sustaining power of Jesus. That kind of changes the fear of death a little bit, doesn't it? You cannot die unless Jesus permits it for His own glory and purposes. There's nothing we have to fear. He is sustaining all things through His powerful Word. Is your Jesus that big? You know, Ricky Bobby, you know, talks about in Talladega Nights, you know, sweet little baby Jesus. This ain't sweet little baby Jesus. This is the powerful creator and sustainer of all things. And next we learn that he is the sin purifier. Now this, this is the most wonderful one to me. I mean, to see them all, this is the one that I'm just like, oh, 
is so wonderful. He is the sin purifier. Look what he says next. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of his majesty in heaven. You know, this is why Jesus came. To purify us from our sins. That is the ultimate hope. That's what we have to have. The ultimate problem for every single one of us is our alienation from God because of our sin. And it's not just that we have committed a few sins in our life. It's that we are stained with sin. Do you know this reality? You have things in your life that bring you shame. Things that you've done. Things that have been done to you. Things that you are struggling with right now. Shame is the human experience. And we rarely fully identify that because we're so busy covering our shame. You know, we got all these fig leaves in our life. But deep down, we're all deeply ashamed. That's why we hide. But here's the amazing reality. Jesus has provided purification. Now what I love about this one right here is it's past perfect tense. Sustaining all things is present. He's actively doing it right now. But whenever he talks about this, he has provided purification for sin. It is a past completed action with implications for the now. That is the Greek tense. It's done. We have, if you're in union with Christ, you have been purified. You've been made clean. All of your stains blotted out. If that is not amazing to you, you, you just you need to pray that God would open your eyes to the wonder of that. And he has sat down at the right hand of the Father. You know, in the temple there were no seats. The priest was always standing, always working, always making sacrifice for sin because it was never finished, because the people kept sinning, just like us. And so continual sacrifice had to be made. But the book of Hebrews will tell us later on that Jesus is the final sacrifice and after He provided purification for sin, He sat down. When's the only time you sit down? I watch my wife in our house. She cleans house. She never sits down. Why? Because it's always getting dirty again by me and my kids. When do you sit down? You only sit down when it's finished. Jesus has finished our purification. It is the only purification that we can find. He is the sin purifier. But also He is the seated ruler. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He is seated on His throne. You know, the only time that a, uh, a king or a ruler is seated is whenever His kingdom is established and His reign is established. Jesus is reigning and ruling over all things. He's on a throne. He's not on a cross. He's on a throne. And one day, He will return to make visible His invisible kingdom. Everyone will see the full extent of His reign throughout the earth. He is the seated ruler. And then finally, He is superior to angels. So He became, verse 4, so He became as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is superior to theirs. Now that might seem like, what? You know, that doesn't seem to match up to the other. Superior to the angels. 
This is actually interesting. In the community that he's writing to, and in fact, in the first century, in many Jewish communities, there was this fascination with angels. You know, there was, there was all these extra writings, extra biblical writings that were talking about angels and how they delivered the law, and, and, and they were just fascinated and tempted to worship angels. Now, we can relate a little bit, right? We like angels, especially if you're, you know, a spiritual person, you know, that's kind of a term here, you know. I'm spiritual but not religious. That's very popular in our culture. And we love angels. Why do, I think we love angels for this reason. They are powerful spiritual beings who provide no accountability in our life. Isn't that why we like them? It's my guardian angel, right? Because they can show up whenever I need them. They don't expect anything of me. And so, I see that tendency in us. You know, we get all excited about angels. You know, some people in some branches of Christianity actually pray to angels. And the writer of Hebrews is like, why would you do that? Angels are just, you know, they're cool. They're powerful messengers of God. They do His work. They're before His throne. They come and they, they do things in our life. But they don't hold a candle to Jesus. He's superior to them. So far superior, you, you, you shouldn't even compare them. When we die, we don't get angel wings. We don't become angels. We're something better. We are His image. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, He is better. That's His message. Jesus is better. He's better than anything you're tempted to run after. He is worth all that persecution. Everything that you would lose in your life, He's worth it. He's better than just vague spirituality. He's better than being a, a, votings, a, a, a values voter. He's better than being all in on your political party. He's better than like being, on, uh, you know, that, being a fan of that football team that just dominates, right? He's better than having that house or, or even having a spouse. He's better than it all. Worship Jesus. See, the writer of Hebrews is calling us to a centering on Jesus, to a beholding of Jesus, to a being satisfied with Jesus. Now in verse, chapter 2, verse 1, he kind of gives a warning here. And now we'll see in Hebrews that often happens. You know, he'll, he'll, uh, he'll, portray something, he'll explain something about Jesus, and then he'll have a section where he'll say, okay, here's my instruction to you, and there's usually a warning on it. And he gives that to us from this section, chapter 2, verse 1, where he says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. You see, that's what they were facing, and he's saying to them, guys... Don't drift away. You're drifting away from Jesus. You're, you're just kind of pulling back from Him. I know what it costs you to center all your life on Him and you're drifting from Him. Don't drift away. It's so easy to drift. Don't drift away. And here's His solution. Not, so the, the way to not drift away is to like get real determined and get real fired up and you know, do all of these kind of things. That's not what He says. What does he say? What is the solution to drifting away? 
Pay more careful attention to what you have heard. The gospel. The truth about Jesus. Tim Keller says, actually, a, probably a better rendering of the Greek here is to say, be furiously obsessed. That's, that's what we're called to. You want to not drift away in your life? Be furiously obsessed with Jesus. You know, it's so often that, that the ways in which we try to change in our life, we try to just power down and we try to focus on that thing, thinking if I can just get it right, I can change in my life. I, I love what Wade is always reminding me of. Wade reminds me of this. He's got a group of guys he meets with and he's always reminding us, listen, you know, that thing that you want to change in your life, that, that habit, that struggle, that sin in your life, you know, we, we try to change those things by focusing on that thing. Like, I've got to get rid of this. And, and I'm, I'm just focused on not doing this thing, which will ensure eventually you're going to do that thing. Because it's just willpower. It's just behavior modification. There's no changing of the heart. But here's what Wade always always reminding me of and others of. Focus on Jesus. That's all you've got to do. Worship Him. Center on Him. Enjoy Him. See Him in His Word. That's the way that we change. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. It's not through willpower that you're going to stay close and that you're going to stay centered on Him. You've got to, you've got to pay attention to Him. You've got to be furiously obsessed with the person of Jesus. So let's just apply this and we'll have a few seconds to discuss it together. Let's bring it home in our life. What about you? Are you drifting? Can you relate to that reality that's happening in the Hebrews? Are you, have you drifted in your life? Can you remember a time in your life where you were so dialed in with Jesus and you were so passionate about your faith? Where it was so real for you have you drifted from that? Are you drifting in your life? I mean, maybe you're still going through the motions. This is so big in the Bible Belt, let me tell you. You know, to think, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the right stuff, right? You know, I'm going to church, I'm, I'm, I'm having a quiet time, you know. Um, I'm, my faith is important to me, I'm standing for the right things, you know. I'm okay, right? This thing just, it so easily becomes duty. It becomes something that, that yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good, right? But there's no passion for Jesus. That is an incredible danger in the Bible Belt because you can be that person, you can be in that place and think I'm good. I'm good if I'm just doing the right things and I can be running after this other stuff in my life. I'm still good, right? The writer of Hebrews says, no, you're not good. You're not good. Because what we are called to is Jesus. Enjoying Him. For Him to be our life and our joy. For Him to be more satisfying in our hearts than everything in the world. Is, is that ever not true for you? It is for me. Just get honest. So what do we do? The writer of Hebrews is so clear. Pay furious attention to Jesus. 
That's why we're talking about reading the Bible this year. It's not so that you would check off a list, you know, and make it a couple months in your reading plan. That's not what we're about. Why are we talk about reading the Bible? We talk about reading the Bible so that we can see Jesus. Why do we come to church? Because we feel good that week. I mean, isn't it so easy for it to be like that? You know, I went to church, I'm like, hey, this is a good week. I'm doing good. We so easy can treat church that way. That's not what this is about. This is about coming together to enjoy Jesus. That's our mission as a church. We want to enjoy Jesus. And if you're not there and you're like, I don't even understand what that means, it's okay. It's okay. Behold Jesus. Look at Him. See Him in His Word. That is our goal. As a church, we want to be centered on Jesus in everything that we do. The point of every sermon is Jesus. Not here's some tips to better your life. Because it's powerless. It's powerless. Our goal is to see and enjoy Jesus. So let me stop there and have a few minutes just to talk about that. Now Michael's not here to work the mic, so we've got to have another volunteer here. Here comes Corey. So, what, what, what's happening in you as we think about that? As we think about a drift, as we think about staying attentive and focused on Jesus, what's happening in you? Let's hear from each other. Since you kind of put me on the spot here. <laughs> uh, Jesus, Jesus gives us that freedom to um, confess our sins, to see our sin, to see our wickedness. And that is way different than um, what I always viewed Jesus as, I guess, growing up was, was perfection. Mm. You know, I, if he, he was perfect, so I had to be perfect. Mm. And yeah. it's just beautiful to see all the evidence in the Bible of how he uses broken people uh, to further his kingdom. And each morning, I just try to make it a habit to, to see my wickedness, to, to, mm. to go, Lord, show me what I need to repent of. Show mm. me how to do that. Mm. Because there's freedom in that. Yeah. And... Um, and I think, you know, repentance and faith every day, not looking at it like we have to just get it right. We can't get it right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're floating between this trying to get it right and, um, and failing uh, a lot of times. And, and so I think that we repent of all the bad stuff we're doing and we repent of all the good stuff we're doing too. Yeah, yeah. Because we can get it right. Yes. And the beautiful thing is he's made it right. Mm. And so there's just a lot of freedom in that and joy. There in that. Um, so. mm. Man, I long for that for us. <clears throat> to see that, that if you're in union with Christ, we've been purified. Like e- even in spite of all of the impurity and the contamination that remains in our hearts, and that, let's just be honest, that's true of every person here. If it's not true of you, you're just deceived. Okay, sorry, but it's true. But it's freeing to say, I'm worse than I know. 
But if Jesus has purified us before the Father, it is incredible freedom like what Wade's talking about. I am free to get honest with Him because He loves me and He's going to change me and He accepts me no matter what I uncover or honest about in my life. It's freedom. That is the only freedom. He said the truth will set you free. We can't bear the truth apart from experiencing His purification. That's the gospel. It sets us free. It sets us free to be real and honest. Levi. Um, back to what you were saying about are you drifting away from the Lord? Yeah. Kind of can relate to that. Because... I have been goofing off in class and stuff, so I have, like, past four days doing, like, three works worth of schoolwork. Mm. And (coughs) ever since I was baptized and stuff, it was a freedom to me. I was like, I'm waiting for this moment. Yes, and then it happens and I'm just like, what? It's just like, it's over, it just fades away. And it's like, started starting to drift me away and stuff. So. Thank you for sharing that, Levi. I, I appreciate your honesty. I can identify with that. I, I would hope we could be honest that our, this drift is very, very natural. To drift is easy. Have you ever been on a boat? You know, and usually if I'm in a boat, which is not all the time, not very much, but when I'm in a boat, I'm probably fishing, and you're looking down and you're maybe tying something, you look up and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm like halfway across the pond. I just drifted. Drifting is easy. It's natural. A lot of times you're not even aware you look up and you're like, how did I get so far from the shore? That is the natural bent of the Christian life. And that's why the writer is saying, you've got to pay careful attention to Jesus. Not just to how you're doing in your life, clean up, be perfect, like what Wade was saying. Jesus. Sean. Um, something that was interesting hearing Levi speak and even with what you just said, is in one of our uh, youth leader meetings sometime in December, uh, I'm reminded of when one of our volunteers said, our spiritual journey is like a wave. It's going to have its ups and it's going to have its downs. And I remember what this person said is it's important to learn to, how to articulate the wave. Mm. And what she meant by that is the times that we're really high and we're experiencing a strong connection in what Christ is doing in our lives, He is just as much present there as He is in the low moments when you're at the dip of the wave where you feel like you're drifting. Uh, there's not something Jesus has done to where He's casted you away and been like, bye. Uh, he's just as much present in that moment And it is a matter of turning our focus and our attention and our hearts uh, towards what he's doing uh, because he's always near to you. Uh, It's just kind of 
gratifying to know that he's already taken care of everything. Yeah. And so as we go through a journey of life where we'll have ups in our faith and then we'll also have downs, we are drifting away. Uh, the comfort is knowing that Christ is right there. And it's kind of having to keep that at the top of your mind. Yeah. Um, so yeah, learning to articulate the wave and knowing that that's natural and it's something that all of us go through uh, is comforting. And we yeah. can encourage each other in that. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Sean. That's so good. This is really quick, but to continue with that boat metaphor, I was thinking Jesus is our anchor. He's the one that keeps us from drifting away. Yeah. I don't know. That was just something that came to me when I was thinking about that. That's good, LG. You know, he actually uses that very metaphor later in Hebrews. So it's pretty neat. So um, I definitely have spiritual highs and lows. Um, I went to Res Resurrection last year, um, which it's just a very cool spiritual sort of getaway in Gatlinburg. Um, and every day you go to services that are Christ-centered, and it's just a very cool, very spiritual experience. Mm. Um, And then in the summers, I go to Camp Lookout, which is just um, a Christ-centered Methodist camp. Mm. So those are definitely my spiritual highs. But somewhere in the middle there, I really, really have to stay vigilant Mm. so I don't start to drift. And that's where it really gets hard is once that sort of spiritual high fades. Um, I just have to stay focused on Christ. And... Just stay vigilant. Mm. Thank you for sharing that, Amelia. Um, I think we sh- let's let's conclude, and we'll, we're we're going to go worship God now. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, <clears throat> would you help us to pay more careful attention to you, to be furiously obsessed with you and your glory? so that you would be the delight and the satisfaction of our hearts and our souls. Would you do this through the power of Holy Spirit? Come and make us a people who are captivated by you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.